Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, get it on Stitcher. Get it wherever you get podcasts from, or just go to pulphockey.com and you get it on there as well. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line to talk about the NHL and much more, uh, a guy who got a brand-new Bluetooth headset, and he's trying it out. I'm, I'm very happy for him. Played 18 years in the NHL, now TSN lead color analyst Ray Ferrar. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm doing good. Played some golf today. I uh, didn't play particularly well, but a beautiful day in Vancouver. And um, so got outside. It's just been awesome. The Bluetooth headset, mm-hmm. I don't think that people quite understand here, Steve. You made it sound like this just works all the time. I'm a, <laughs> I am kryptonite to technology. So I think there's a 16% chance this headset works throughout the entire show. Yep. But I got it set up. I paired it, which really... It's embarrassingly easy. However, it works. And yeah. so I'm taking this as a major win. Oh, fa- fantastic. Good to hear. It does sound good, so that's good. Uh, lots to talk about. Uh, Justin Bourne from The Athletic is going to uh, join the show. A guy that I love reading his stuff there. I love The Athletic uh, permanently, actually, by the way. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him, Ray. Uh, smart guy. What I like about him, you know, you mentioned about how you learn stuff from him and how you like his stuff on The Athletic. I like it because – it's it's really thoughtful without being so bogged down that you can't get through to the end. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. like I find myself, by the time I'm finished, I'm like, that was really cool. Yep. I didn't think of that that way. I really liked it. I, I think he's... Uh, He's an underrated, terrific writer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he's coming up here in a little bit on the show. All right, Ray, i uh, got some topics for you to talk about here. Uh, last night, I went to the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and Buffalo Sabres game. Uh, the Knights scored their first power play goal of the year, and they Flurry lost his shutout with 30 seconds left, which kind of bummed everybody out because we got free donuts if Hattie shut them out. So that was really a big bummer. Well, did you need the donuts? Or maybe he was doing everybody a favor. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, what do you think? Do I need the donuts, Ray? No. No, okay. Um, no, but he's doing you a favor. Yes, thank you. Thank you, uh, Flower. Uh, so, Rasmus Dahlin, I kept an eye on him. I really wanted to see him. Uh, middle stat as well. Jack Eichel, of course. They got the makings of a good club. Uh, they've had a decent start to the year. They were slow last night. They played a better second half. Uh, Dahlin got victimized on one of the goals. But a little slow start for this guy. And the only reason I want to bring him up, Ray, is because you are absolutely a fan. All last year, you told us about this kid and, and how he's going to be you know, just incredible. But he's learning defense in the NHL on a smaller rink. Takes some time. Well, this would be, you know, far different than McDavid and Matthews coming in in their 18-year-old year and really being, you know, quite explosive right away. Mm-hmm. And and you touched on it right at the end there, Steve. So not only playing a much more difficult position, uh, playing defense, center's a tough position. Um, I'd say the second biggest, second toughest position behind the D-man. Mm-hmm. 
but it but it is easier. There's less responsibility for sure as a centerman than a, as a defenseman. That's number one. Number two is a different rink. I know he's played some games over here, but not enough to have a great idea about the angles and the way that um, you would play defense. You got to play it a little more firmly, not as much area defense as they do in Europe. That's number two. Uh, number three is um, when he attacks with the puck. It's you know it's just different. Mm-hmm. The rink is smaller again. There it's more crowded. You've got to find where your outlets are, and that's that's pretty difficult to do. And the other thing is, and I think this is really important, is Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid grew up watching the NHL on television, and Rasmus Dahlin did not. So as much as he could prepare for the NHL, until he sees it, it's going to be a lot different for him. And I think all of those things go into the hopper about making it a far more difficult transition to Mm -hmm. the NHL than it would have been for McDavid and Matthews. And the reason I use those two guys is because I think he will be, um, he will be that important to his position in Buffalo as those guys are to their positions in both Edmonton and Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, uh, made a couple of really nice passes and, and had some good uh, moments where he, he anticipated where the puck was going to go. You know, like you saw some things. You're just, yeah. you know, getting there. Yeah, and, and you want it – I mean, we're all the same. We want it to be great now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's harder to be that. Yeah. With a team that is just, you know, basically trying to unscrew themselves because they've been terrible for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's learning the league and the players and – everything all together and it's like i said it'll it'll take him a little time but i don't have any question about him yeah no absolutely you you've uh you've talked about him a lot uh let's go let's go with uh new jersey devils keith kincaid carrying it right now they're four and oh you know obviously they started the the season overseas so they're, they're not they don't have the number of games that a lot of teams have played new jersey devils everybody playoff team last year yeah they, you know, they, they made the trade before last summer. Uh, they traded Adam Larson to Edmonton for Taylor Hall. They end up with an MVP in Hall. Um, they draft Nico Hishier, who is a terrific young player, Hall centerman. They had made a trade uh, the previous year for a second-round pick for Kyle Palmieri. I think he's got seven goals. Yeah, on fire uh, right now. On the season. Yep. And their number one goalie was, is, was is Corey Schneider. But Schneider was hurt unbelievably last year. He went from December 29th on without a win. Like, I, I can't even imagine yeah. how that could have been. Keith Kincaid was outstanding. He went to the World Championships. Kincaid was the number one goalie for the U.S. over there. And he's competitive. He's a little bit of a throwback. You know, he's like a little bit loose in that. He's an acrobatic sort of guy. He fights hard. And he's off to another terrific start. Yeah. And so, out of necessity, New Jersey's found out they've got a good goaltender, and it's and it's Kincaid who'd been kicking around in their system a little bit. Is this something you think that carries on? I mean, Corey Schneider, at you know, just a few years ago, Corey Schneider was one of the best goalies in the league. Obviously, some injuries and some some performance not up to par. I mean, it's might be tough to get it back. What do you think? Well, I mean, the longer he's out, the easier or the harder it's going to be. It's not going to get easier for him. Um, say he comes back tomorrow. You can't just turn the net over mm-hmm. to him. You know, he's got to yeah. work his way back. And, yep. and then, 
you know, I mean, this is the way the NHL is. And as much as people think they understand, there is nothing like professional sports as the greatest reality show there is. <laughs> yeah. Because Corey Schneider can be the best goalie. He gets hurt. You shouldn't lose your job for injury. Keith Kincaid gets the net, and he never gives it back. Mm-hmm. And eventually they say, wait a minute, we're going to have to sign one of these two guys. Schneider was good three years ago. Kincaid's great three days ago. And so they have to make a decision on yeah. on a player and a person, and it's not easy. And so, that's why sometimes they get it wrong, is because it's not robots, it's people. And can Schneider get it back? Sure, why not? But it's been a few years now. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, you know, and it doesn't get easier. That's what I mean. Like, it wasn't like Corey was putting up a great year last year, right? Like you said, you, you gave us that stat. So, I, you know, it's tougher and tougher to get it back, right? And Kincaid is running with it. So, yeah. It, but I would say Jersey is one of the one of the great positive surprises of the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Corey Crawford's back. I think he's going to start. Uh, nice to see him finally back. Of course, concussion issues have held him out for a long time, and uh, really, uh, Cam Ward's not quite given him what they need in that. So this this could be huge for the Blackhawks. Well, it, it is for sure. And you know, first off, you know, good for for Schneider and happy for or uh, for Corey Crawford. Happy for him that he's able to come back and play. It's been a it's been a long road for him and uh, not an easy one. And um, so now he's he's back. And, yes, you're 100% right. The Blackhawks need him mm-hmm. desperately. Um, Cam Ward is not a number one goalie. He's not been that for for a number of years. But, you know, in Carolina, they've been, you know, they kept trying to give the goalie spot to somebody else, and it just yeah. it never worked. They kept going back to him. So um, I, I think – I think Corey Crawford is as underrated a goalie as there is in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was playing 55, 58 games a year, masking over some really dreadful um, uh, defense in, in Chicago mm-hmm. as they were trying to transition themselves into a newer, younger team. And, you know, finally last year they just said, okay, to hell with it, we got to do it. And they basically became – totally inexperienced their season was going along okay until until he got hurt and once he got hurt i mean they were a train wreck yeah yeah they really they haven't settled that position since he went out right i mean i don't think anybody's really grabbed it yeah so no they've they've tried a number of guys Mm -hmm. and um it's not worked for them and you know one of them was scott darling (laughs) who went to carolina and he was a disaster last year and so he and Cam Ward, they were the worst goaltending duo in the NHL. They did get the, now, the accountant guy. The accountant guy came in. Also, yeah, Scott. he did. <laughs> I actually broadcast that game. I know. I know. So it's great. It was the craziest thing. You know, like, so before the game, the PR department comes in and they gave us this piece of paper about, you know, the emergency goalie is, I forget his name. And <laughs> I want to say Scott Foster. Scott Foster. Yep. And no, that's what it was. And uh, and so they said, here's the emergency goalie, and there's a piece of paper there, and you, you know, you look at it, and you pitch it to the side, and then we get word almost immediately that um, one of the goaltenders, I think, is Anton Forsberg, twisted his ankle in the pregame warm-up, like when he was playing soccer. So you're like, damn, this guy's the backup. 
<laughs> you know, it's one thing when he's yeah. the third guy, and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, he's the third guy. And then you're like, holy crap, he might get in. Right. And then when when Colin Delia was limping around the crease, you're like, oh, my gosh, they got to get this guy in the game. Yeah, that's and great. It was awesome. He made a couple of good saves, and uh, good for him. What a an awesome highlight for him. So every time I watch Washington Capitol highlights this year, uh, Kuznetsov is just on fire. Try that again. Try that again. I'm Kuznets- going to say it again. Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. That's Sorry. better. Um, yeah, there you go. He's just on fire this year. Some of these goals he's scoring are just man. He's he is off to a good start. Absolutely. Right now, Ray, who would you take, him or Evgeny Malkin? Oh, right now. Gee. What would you take? Right now. I, I see um, some... Probably Kuznetsov. Yeah. But not by very much. Right. Um, I, you know, I mean, Malkin's, you know, he's a fabulous player. Well, Malkin's older, um, to be fair. Well, Malkin's, you know. Yeah, yeah he's older, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Kuznetsov is just so slick. Yeah. He's so good. And then in the last year or so, they've been, they've been prodding him to shoot the puck a little more. Okay. And last year, he started to shoot it more frequently. He scored a career high. I think he had 29 goals last year. And um, once he started to shoot, then the ice opened up more for him. And he is an outstanding player. And don't forget here, like Ovechkin had 49 goals last year. For forever, Ovechkin's center has been Nick Backstrom. Last year, they switched at some point. And Ovechkin started playing with Kuznetsov. And um, I mean, I, he is—he's uh, a number one center. Yeah. yeah. He's an elite, elite player. There's been some outstanding stuff written on him. He grew up way in the east of Russia. Okay. Didn't have a whole lot. Um, there's some excellent articles that you can find online. I, you know, I wish I could, you know, mm-hmm. recommend exactly which one they are, but you can find them, uh, guys, if you're listening to, you know, just to go out if you're interested in reading about Kuznetsov. And he's a really kind of a free-spirited guy. Um, he loves to play. Um, they asked him about winning a heart trophy or something like that, and he's like, I don't care about that shit. That's for somebody else. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's, just, yeah. he's got a great way about him. Mm-hmm. And um, like last year in the finals, you know, I was working for NBC Radio. I got a chance to talk to him a few times. I interviewed him a couple times, and I came away a huge fan. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever really dealt much into his personality or interviews or anything. Of him, oh, he's you know? funny. Just, yeah. he's, he's funny, Steve. He's got a good sense of humor. He, yeah. um, like just look at the way he celebrates his goals, yeah, yeah. which of course would piss Don Cherry off because <laughs> yeah. I don't know, because it does. And, um, and you know, and not just him, it would be, you know, any older guy to me, it's awesome. Yeah. It's fun. And Kuznetsov is fun. Yeah. And he's awesome. Yeah. He's a terrific. He, every highlight, every game I've watched highlights this year or the games themselves, I'm like, Holy smokes. Look at this guy. Just absolutely. Yeah, you're right, and it's you're right, and that's not like that's not a fluke. Like you're just catching no, the no, right highlight. Oh no, no, you know, like I think that's like always now. Uh, he's 26. Malkin's 32 now, so it's actually a bigger age difference than I thought between them. I didn't. That, really, that is, you know what, yeah. that is a big deal. Yeah, and um, and you know, there's, you know, Malkin's size really, yeah, is you know, is the thing that makes it stand out a lot. But you know, Kuznetsov's not a little guy either. No. And um, I, I think he's a terrific player. Uh, it's been a little bit um, 
over now, but what's the reaction in Vancouver where you live over Elias Pettersson and the uh, Mike Matheson two-game suspension for b- the body slam? Well, of course, the people here lost their mind. And, <laughs> of course, you know, right, they, of course. Yeah, I mean, like, they weren't they weren't buying this <laughs> at, at all. And so, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with what Mike Matheson did. Nothing at all, except till the end, when yeah. he slammed him into the ice. Yeah. And, and I understand why people are saying, well, why can't he finish his check? And, you know, uh, you know I, there's some people and you know, including O-Dog that, you know, on our show in Toronto, it's like, well, why don't you just take hitting out of the game? The real issue is that the game has changed forever. And if we want it to be the way it used to be, well, then we're watching the wrong game because it's not going to be that. And mm-hmm. so when, when I look at the play, I thought he would get one game, Steve. Mm-hmm. He got two. So it's a game too long, but in my mind, yeah. but we've talked enough about this and you know that my thought is always has been to suspend more, not less. And so if they suspend Mike Matheson for one game more than I thought, mm-hmm. nah, I'm fine with that. You know, and again, I thought it should have been one. It's yeah. two. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's a widespread thing that people have to, you know, in Vancouver, they're saying, well, now does Pedersen have to worry on every shift or every game that someone's going to target him? Well, they're going to anyway, Yeah. whether there was a suspension or not, because he's the best player. The NHL doesn't do a very good job, I don't think, of making it very easy for their stars. Now, the NBA does, and there's people that will criticize that and say, well, why should they have an easier goal yeah. than, you know, than the regular guy? Well, the answer is because nobody pays to see the regular guy, per se, but they do pay to see LeBron James. But I do think... There, there is some physical abuse that the stars take mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be. And Elias Pettersson, if you haven't watched him, I know he's just a kid, but watch him because he's a special, special player. Well, Vancouver, Vancouver hasn't had a player this exciting since Pavel Bury. Right, absolutely. Well, I was going to say, you talked about him being targeted, but... He's pretty elusive, man. Holy smokes, can he get through guys? Yeah, and you can always shoulders. be as elusive. You can be, <laughs> but Steve, you can be as elusive as you want. Uh-huh. There's, there's always going to be a time where you're not. Sure, sure. Like, you know, and so, but again, I don't think there's anything wrong with what Mike Matheson did until the very end. Yeah, and and Pedersen is not, he's not very heavy. He's about 170 pounds, and a lot of people in. Vancouver, who are saying, yeah, well, so is Johnny Goudreau. He's 160 pounds. The difference is Goudreau's short as well. He's not, he's not very tall. So it's really tough to get leverage on him. Mm-hmm. It's not tough yeah. to get leverage on, on Pedersen. Pedersen's tall and thin. Yeah. Like he's six foot, six one. And so when Matheson got underneath him there, it was pretty easy for him to, to just yeah. pick him up. Now, he didn't need to slam him into the ground. He did. That's why he got the suspension. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I, I was I was actually surprised with the. I mean, obviously Pedersen was a KO'd, you know, wonky, couldn't couldn't get his balance. I was surprised that that slam, although the slam isn't great and it does deserve a penalty or a suspension, just like you said. I was surprised that Pedersen was as in bad shape as he was. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like for that? Yeah, that, but I don't know why you'd be surprised. It's just the way you hit. Yeah. The way you know, like yeah, some yeah. guys get. Some guys get absolutely steamrolled, 
and nothing gets nothing's wrong because of the way they absorb the hits or the mm-hmm. position their body might be in. And some guys barely get hit, and they've got a problem. Yep. And it, it's really um, uh, really an unpredictable deal. Uh, let's uh, let's bring in Jason or Justin Bourne. Jason, let's bring in Justin Bourne. Uh, yeah, why don't you bring in Justin? Jason's not coming. No, he's not a super agent. Uh, all right, uh, really looking forward to this. Here's uh, Justin Bourne from the Athletic. And now, as promised, on the line from uh, the Athletic senior hockey writer over there, former uh, pro hockey player himself, hockey royalty family member as well, Justin Bourne. What's up, Justin? How are you, man? Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot going on, man. I'm doing really well. I'm, uh, you know, enjoying things a couple weeks into the season. Things are good. Justin, what's, uh, so, you know, so people might not know you played, you played growing up, you played professionally, retired, then you got into the media, but then you went to be, uh, in the, in the Leafs organization with the Marlies as a video coach. How exactly did you get involved in, uh, I'm more, not so much the playing, but the, the coaching media or the coaching video stuff and then getting back into the athletic? Uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting time for me. I worked for the score, uh, writing sort of feature work and all that for uh, a few years. And um, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe were coaching and uh, managing the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And they liked my work. And, you know, they actually thought I knew what I was talking about, which is, you know, not all that common. Um, so they, uh, they gave me a chance to interview for a coaching position with Sault Ste. Marie. They thought I could be an assistant coach. And um, I don't know uh, if you know this, but assistant coaches in the OHL uh, don't make a lot of money and you have to live in Sault Ste. Marie. So uh, things didn't quite work out there. But uh, that had uh, sort of established our relationship between Kyle, myself, and Sheldon. And, um, you know, as, as they moved up the ranks, uh, our relationships uh, sort of maintained. And um, the Leafs, uh, once upon a time, they fired pretty much everyone in the organization. And I text Kyle and said, hey, if I can do anything, I'm happy to step in. And uh, he had me cut some video in the summer uh, just of prospects and future free agents. And so we sort of maintained that relationship. So when Babcock, uh, Babcock came aboard, he wanted extra video coaches uh, with, the, with the Leafs. So he took the Marlies guy, and there was an opening there, and uh, that's when they reached out to me now when you when you're doing the video um and i'm sure a lot of a lot of people and even myself included um i would say so how do you decide what you're clipping or do you clip everything which means put it in a place that the coaches can find it like do you do that on your own are you looking for specific things do they give you specific things to look for yeah, it's actually it's a really interesting process, and I should probably write about this uh, at some point. But um, the the real bulk of it is just you clip everything that uh, a coach would want to look at. So every breakout, I hit the letter B, and it clips 10 seconds uh, behind when I hit the button and 10 seconds after. So uh, at the end of the game, the coach can open the breakouts folder, and there is every single breakout from that game from when I hit the letter B. Um, but then we do that, you know, over the course of the game, I clip about 900 items. So that's, you know, face-offs and retrievals and regroups and uh, forechecks and all those different things that a coach would want to look at. They're all separated into different folders just based on the button I hit. On top of that, I have my own button, um, you know, which is just a J for Justin. And then I would add text, which is, you know, this guy's you know, soft play or, you know, yeah. got to get this out or whatever, all the stuff that I saw. And so they would go back and look through the things that I saw individually. And on top of that, 
the coach is wearing an earpiece that I, and a, that uh, like a walkie-talkie into me. Uh, they would just say clip that. So they would have their own button where I would just hit you know S for Sheldon Keith, and Sheldon could go in and everything he wanted to look at again, he could go in and look at it intermission. Uh, this is uh, using Exos. The program is really incredible. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's it's pretty cool and, and makes coaching a lot easier for sure. Now, does it make it easier? Does it make it more detailed? Does it? Is there a point where maybe things become so overanalyzed, you're still dealing with people, mistakes are going to be made? Like, is there a point where it's just too much overload to the player, or is that on the coach to, to siphon out what exactly is the most important? Well, listen, Ray, I think that's the, a very, very valuable point and one that is even overlooked within um, NHL organizations is that I think it's too much. Do you remember? I don't remember, but when um, Murray fired Bilesma, he said something to the, you know, the effect of maybe instead of doing three hours of video, do two, grab a coffee for that other hour, and go talk to people. You know, go hang out with the players, see what's going on, take their temperature uh, of what's going on. And, and I very much think that, uh, video is heavily overdone that, you know, the guys see the same stuff every day. They know what they're supposed to do. They don't need to see them doing it wrong the day before all the time. And uh, I definitely think it's a, uh, you know, part of the reason I think guys like Quenville are successful is because they're a little more old school. And I don't think they break it down the same way that some of these new school guys do. So, yeah, I think video is being heavily overused in, in coaching right now. We're into the we're in a few weeks into the start of the season. Of course, Austin Matthews is off to an incredible start. Connor McDavid's only played four games, and it you know I mean last night's performance. This is Wednesday today, but last night's performance against Winnipeg was just awesome. Um, what has stood out for you, maybe um, in a couple of places, maybe not so much the the obvious, but what has stood out for you as you watch? I think the game is so different. Like, it's just, it's happened so quick. Like, just five years ago, I feel like the NHL looked entirely different. And I really feel like the young, skilled guys have taken over. And, you know, this is maybe a good thing or, or a bad thing, depending on your stance on this. But there doesn't really seem to be anyone to answer to. And I, I'm actually writing this for tomorrow. Just that guys are going to start piping up in interviews a little bit more because you don't go on the ice the next day and have to answer for your quotes, uh, you know, for, again, some. You know, some badass guy is going to punch you in the face. I don't think that's a thing anymore. So these young guys, I think they're just getting so comfortable, and it's just it's really fun to watch on the one hand. But a lot of I think old school hockey fans would love to see a couple of guys, you know, maybe take one of the teeth here and there. But for myself, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. But I just I can't get over how different the game looks than just a few years ago. Now, when I broke in with Hartford, you're talking about somebody on the other team. I had to worry, as you might have guessed, I talked a lot. I had to worry about my own team. Yeah. We played the Islanders. Your dad had just gone. His dad, uh, Bob Bourne, had won a couple of Stanley Cups with the, with the Islanders. But it was near the end of the run, and we played them in Hartford, and we lost 3-2. And they asked after the game, the reporters, they said, how do you compare the teams? And I thought this was a pretty insightful quote. I said, now, we can't compare – with their experience, you know, Trache and Bossy and Gilly, like how would we, Gilly's, by the way, that's Justin Bourne's father-in-law, which is a whole other story. But anyway, <laughs> so how does it, how do we compete with that? But our younger guys, I think we're better. Well, the next day, what went over was what the older guys in our team heard was our older guys suck and our younger <laughs> guys are really good. So I got shamed. 
shaved? I got, initiated. Like said, <laughs> I got initiated for that. I got so I got half a haircut and there wasn't very much hair left on my body anywhere and so you see, you know, there is accountability. It was just 35 years ago. I, you know, I, I think back to some of the stories my dad tells me um, back to, you know, when he was a, a rookie and, and how they initiated players. And, you know, it, it was a little terrifying, but that's actually a really good point that, you know, you know, I'm saying that these guys can kind of say a little bit more in their quotes because they don't have to answer for it on the ice. Well, you used to have to answer for it in your own dressing room a little bit, too. So, uh, yeah, things have certainly changed, and uh, there's, there's a little bit more room to be a, uh, a diva these days. So I, I'm interested to see where this goes in hockey. Now, you worked with the Leafs. Um, did you work much at all with Babcock or mostly with Sheldon Keith? No, a lot with them actually. Um, I did all their uh, the Leafs training camps, the development camps in the summer, and uh, they really, you know, we shared a building at MCC. You know, their room was just down from ours, so uh, they made a real effort to make sure that the the Marlies were on the same page as the Maple Leafs, and 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 Babs would come to a lot of games too. So, uh, yeah, I got to work with Mike quite a bit. So, did you ever get the you know the Babcock stare and the hey, boy, you're going to be better than this or the did you ever get that? Or when I look at him, I'm standing 15 feet away in a suit, and I'm like. Geez, he looks pissed at me, and I—he can't even hear what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, man, I—I I didn't have the courage to speak up when, when Mike was in the room. I was terrified. Like I held it all in, and then when he'd leave, I'd say to Sheldon and Kyle, like, "Hey, you know that thing Mike said that was entirely wrong? What? What about this? What if we?" Because <laughs> Mike. Mike was a big fan of, for just random example, he loved Andrew Nielsen on the Marlies. He'd be like, he's the only guy who could make a play for you. It's like, no, Mike, you're just not here all that often. That's not true at all. But I would never say that to his face. Um, I, I did have a, a good run-in with uh, with Lamarello because I let my facial hair go for five days, and he walked into the room and said, Jesus Christ, does anyone have five bucks so I can buy this guy a fucking razor? <laughs> <laughs> five days. Five days of growth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, otherwise, well, I, I kept my mouth shut around those guys. Now, did you did you enjoy what you were doing? Um, were you looking forward to maybe an opportunity like the Athletic presented for you? Um, yeah, you know what? And I'm sure you feel the same way, Ray. I enjoyed everything about being a part of a team again. You know, like I enjoyed the camaraderie and the laughs in the locker room and, you know, the boys will be boys stuff. I really enjoyed that. Uh, the work itself was uh, at times menial, you know, just a lot of the tag in the game, and uh, it became pretty rote, just, you know, not not all that interesting necessarily sometimes. So I didn't love the work, and I'm not really a tech guy, so it's kind of not the perfect role for me. But, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. But, you know, I, I had a kid, and uh, we don't have family in town. The chance to be to, to work from home and to get back in the media side and get back on Twitter, which I really missed, which is pathetic, but I did miss it. <laughs> Uh, it, it was all worth it to me. Also, back on Twitter, G, don't you get a lot of really helpful advice on Twitter about how to write your articles? <laughs> Listen, man, you take it worse than I do. I, I oh. tend to duck and weave a little bit more. You just you're right into the headwind. You don't care. <laughs> right, well, that's great. Yeah. The the other day, I sent out that text or that tweet rather about McDavid and Matthews, and of course, once it's out, you can't really explain what you mean. It's too late, right. and so. Yes, I think Matthews or McDavid's the best player. I don't, I, I don't know how you would say otherwise. But I was saying that I think Matthews is in the conversation. Well, as I was trying to enunciate or to clarify that, you know, 
400 people jump into the conversation. It's a cesspool. <laughs> and I get a, I get an email from Duffy, and he says, you better warm up your pals and chums today. He's like, you've got a long day in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's really sad. I mean, I was a, a pretty good uh, tweet deleter uh, in my early days. Just be like, you know what, I, I wish I hadn't said that. I'd delete it. Now, when you have a certain level of followers, it doesn't go away. Like, so people saw it. It's, it's out there. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a fine line to... to to really express yourself how you honestly feel in that short number of characters and at the same time, you know, have it come out with what you really mean. Because you're right, Ray. Like, it's tough to explain your point in a tweet. Like, it's a it's very con, you know, con, uh, sorry, a deep sort of point you're trying to make is that just someone's on his level, maybe, or in the conversation. And, yeah, people don't like that sort of stuff. No uh, nuance. Angry Ray is my favorite Ray. Justin on Twitter. <laughs> I'm I'm maturing out of that though. Are you? You think I you're getting better? That, yeah. <laughs> I think I think by the time I'm 60, I'm gonna have this all wrapped up in a neat bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, Justin, a couple questions for me. Uh, I want to talk about the Islander teams and, and of your dads and and your father-in-law and everything else. But first. Um, you obviously still uh, you still follow the Marlies. You still track them, and I'm sure there's a lot of friends there for you and guys you're cheering for. Um, who are Leaf fans? And I'm one of them. And Ray knows this. Um, who's next? Who's coming up next? Who's somebody that you really uh, under the radar think is going to be a great player and maybe isn't getting enough press right now? Well, there's there's two guys that come to mind. Um, one of them is getting a lot less press than the other, but. I, if I'm being honest about the Toronto Maple Leafs team, and I've written this, and also I got a response to this article that Ray got to his tweet the other day, um, I said that I don't think they're tough enough. And that's apparently a sin to say in today's <laughs> era of the NHL. But they seem to lack an edge um, and just a sort of a grit factor. And, uh, you know, Mason Marchment on the Toronto Marlies is one of the rare guys. He's 6'4". He plays with a physical bent. He hits guys. He's got a great shot. Um, you know, if, if you know he develops as they hope he can, maybe he's a guy who can play on your bottom line and make someone's going to have to make no money. You know, getting yep. the stars you have in the team, someone's going to have to make no money. And someone like him, and then Carl Grundstrom also uh, can piss some people off, as Leo Komarov used to do. Um, so to me, that's what they lack a little bit. They just don't have that fight to me. Um, so, uh, you know, those couple guys, I think, have something that, the, that they're lacking right now. That'll be interesting to uh, to track them and see as as you know as the guys leave. Marlowe's out next year. You know they'll have some some spots open. Um, the Islander teams uh, and Ray. When you got there, Ray, it was only like five or six years out of the drive for five. So I mean, you you know you have an you have an aspect of this too, Ray, that you can speak of. But you've heard all the stories, Justin, from your dad, Bob Bourne, and your father-in-law, Clark Gillies. Like Ray said. What's a couple or one that stands out? I mean, I'm sure there's something you can't tell over the air, but but um, like what what do you when you look back the record breaking uh, playoff streak that they had again losing the, in the finals for the fifth one? But man, I, I read some great books on that dynasty, and, and it just seems like Bill Torrey and Al Arbor were very key, and the players really had some accountability among themselves. But what when when you want to talk about them, what do you think about? Well, the, the record to me that's most impressive, the one that really sticks in my head, is winning 19 straight playoff series. And a lot of people go to Gretzky's autobiography when they talked about walking by the Islanders, uh, you know, mm-hmm. after they won the yep. cup for the fourth time. And, you know, everyone's icing down knees and, you know, ice packs galore. And, you know, it's happy but kind of understated. And, you know, that realization of what it really takes to have a short summer every year, come back and be that team again. 
Um, you know, that's one of the most impressive things. I would say the second most impressive thing of the whole thing is uh, my dad and Clark Gillies were next-door neighbors growing up. Or, sorry, not growing up, but, uh, sorry, with the Islanders. Yep. They bought houses beside each other. Um, and so they drove to the games together, which is only too logical. And after every single uh, game, they would have a six-pack of beer in the car, and they would throw, they would drink three beers each and throw them back in the pickup <laughs> as they drove home. And they wouldn't, their rule was they wouldn't take those uh, cans out of the back of the pickup until they lost a playoff series. And this was during the 19 playoff series wins in a row. So they just had uh, beer cans sloshing around the back of their truck, which today, to think about, would have been, like, what a story that would have been. But uh, to me, I just think that's a hilarious story. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. I mean, Ray, when you now, got is on... That, sorry, is that where... i got to interrupt here. Yeah. Is that, that must be, obviously, where you met your wife. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we knew each other. We actually saw a picture today of us at, like, four years old on a, you know, a coffee mug. Someone put a picture. You know, we were little friends as little kids. Then when my dad got inducted into the Isles Hall of Fame, they flew me down from university and said, hey, we'll put you up in the Marriott, and you can watch this uh, induction. My dad was like, you're not staying at the Marriott. You're staying at the Gillies. Mm-hmm. And then I walked into the Gillies' house, and I was like, hey, she's pretty. And here we are. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story, too, for sure. Um <laughs> Yeah, Ray, when you got to the island, I mean, like I said, it wasn't that long ago that they were just unbeatable when you first got there. I mean, it was it was it was hanging around, right? It was lingering this dynasty. Well, it it was really kind of intimidating because the players were gone, but everything around you was the same. Mm -hmm. You know, Al was there. Bill Torrey was there. Joanne in the office was there. Um, the dressing room was the same. Like, it was all the same except it was us adults instead of these great Stanley Cup champions. And it felt a little bit heavy, mm-hmm. you know, to because the people were so connected to those great Islander teams. And then shortly after I got there, they traded Brent Sutter and Pat LaFontaine, who were the end of any real crossover connection. The yeah. only one left would have been Pat Flatley, who played in the last year when they lost to the Oilers there, which would have been their fifth cup. That was it. Everybody else was gone. But what was really cool was, and even to this day I can say, and Justin, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but the older guys, they still feel really tied in. Like they want the Islanders to do well. That was such an important part of their lives and their careers they want something positive to happen. And there's been a lot of years of not very positive stuff. Mm-hmm. They want it yeah. to happen. I, I couldn't agree more, Ray. Just, the, you know, my, my dad and, and Bree's dad, the connection they feel is, is still, you know, they're, they're Islanders for life, and they watch the team and follow and root for them. And, you know, they still hang on to the gear and the swag and follow, uh, you know, everything that happened with the Tavares saga and the, and the whole deal. So uh, I couldn't agree more that, that those years really bred in them, you know, lifelong Islander blood. Now, the, the old stigma about Clark Gillies was, you know, obviously Hall of Famer. Don't hit him. Don't wake him up. He's an animal. I mean, back then, for his size, he was a big man uh, back in the in the 80s and uh, could certainly throw them down and, you know, power winger. At that time, uh, did, you, did your dad ever verify that that was true, that Clark really, you had to hit him or, and, and, don't, and you, nobody wanted to hit him to get him going? Was that actually the stereotype true? Uh, I, don't, I don't know necessarily if that's the case. I think you'd be worse off if you had hit 
Mike Bossy or Dennis Potvin or someone if, if you wanted to wake him up. But, you know, my, my favorite Clark Gillies stat is that he never had 100 penalty minutes in a single season. Not one. You know, you look at well, Zach I didn't Ronaldo know that. And, that is crazy. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> thing? Yeah, he had 99 one year, which is why it kind of makes it a cool stat. But he never, he never had 100 pims because they kind of knew. People knew with Clark not to do anything because if you woke him up and made him angry, you were going to pay the price. So people didn't wake people up. They just kind of let the, the stars be stars. And, um, and that's, you know, people question his inclusion in the Hall of Fame. I, I think he made the players that scored all the goals uh, a heck of a lot better, better in an era where it was pretty intimidating to, to be someone who wasn't tough. Okay, so Justin, here's the last one for me. So you, you talk about how Clark set you know, and he did, you know, like he, even when I got into the league, like you just looked at him and you were scared to death because he was just <laughs> so bloody big and he had that big beard and I was 20 and I'm like, Oh my God, this man is frightening. <laughs> but the game has changed so much yet. There still seems to be a segment of people that think that that should still happen. And all, you know, I live in Vancouver, so I'll use the Elias Pedersen, Example, he got hurt, and the people up here were all up in arms that there was no big response. I think that response is gone forever. And I'm curious, as somebody with a connection to those great teams and the way that Clark played, uh, among others, if you think the same way. So I do think that 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 is gone. I do agree with you, Ray. I think it's uh, sort of a a thing of the past, and there's still going to be moments as we transition towards this new style of NHL. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see it a bit, but I, I don't think it's going to make any sense long-term or, or be useful even. But the, the bigger point to me is that that doesn't mean that intimidation is not a thing. And that doesn't mean that physical players, um, you know, I hate what Tom Wilson has done in terms of hurting people, but boy, would I be scared to play Tom Wilson and he's pretty useful. Um, you know, so there is something to be said for players who can play but also intimidate. But, yeah, the straight-up guy who's going to fight you if you do something wrong, uh, I do think that's a thing of the past and then just a way of the game that we're not going to see anymore. Uh, i got to agree with you. A, the unpredictability of a player like Wilson was always more concerning to me than yeah. a really big, tough guy because a really big, tough guy wasn't going to bug me. But Dale Hunter... He kind of worried me just in case he decided <laughs> for sport that he was going to flash me or spear me or cross me. Right, and that's, you know, and that ends up happening with the whole Pierre Turgeon thing. It's like a guy like that, you yeah. just don't know what he's going to do. That's kind of scary. Or, uh, or Marchment, right? You've talked about Brian Marchment. Brian yeah, Marchment. Or Mason Marchment, hopefully, eventually. Me. Yeah, yeah maybe. Because a game, a game, now I don't know if Mason is that unpredictable, but Brian, you're like, he just might do something out here and it's not going to turn out very good for me. I don't like that. And it would make you uncomfortable. There, there doesn't seem to be much making uncomfortable anymore. Yeah. I don't think it's going to turn into uh, gym class ball hockey at any point. I, I still think the physical factor, I think there might be an overcorrection happening right now, which is what I wrote about the lease in general, just that everyone's like, all right, well, we don't need tough guys anymore. So let's have no tough players. And it's like, ah, at some point you'd like to have a few guys who, you know, no one's really sure about. So I, I think there will be a physical team in the near future that, that kind of overpowers some teams. 
Well, fantastic, Justin. Uh, thank you for your time on the Ray Ferrara podcast. Uh, Justin Bourne, read him on The Athletic. Your story, uh, I think it was last week, breaking down Austin Matthews' improved shot was uh, was great. All your stuff is fantastic. Uh, every time I read it, I'm, I'm always, I always learn something, right? Like that, that's that's where you come from. When After I read your stuff, I'm like, oh, I learned this. I didn't know this. And, and that's that's perfect, man. I love it. So thank you. Thank it's, it's you for like your time. It's like listening to Ray, you know, any, any game. Just listening to Ray, you learn something. Yeah. Good. Hey, thanks, man. Justin, thanks for your time. But it was awesome. Uh, really cool stories about the Islanders. The tossing the bottles in the back is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, thanks for your time. Have a have a super yeah. day. Thanks a ton for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, good stuff there. Thank you, uh, Justin, for coming on. And uh, Ray, uh, sh- smart guy, bright guy, for sure. Uh, yeah, thanks. I, I, I'm, I'm int- he's an interesting guy. I, I really like talking to him. It was awesome of him to come on. And yeah. um, if you haven't read his stuff in The Athletic, do yourself a favor, check him out. Mm-hmm. I'm almost certain you'll love it. The best part is he's a video coach for you know Toronto and uh, the Marlies and the Leafs, and then he said he's not really a technological kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so, right. so do you think at some point they're like, oh, we've hired a guy that doesn't know how to turn the computer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, still to come, Ray's game of the day and uh, your Twitter questions as well. Paul Pocky podcast mm-hmm. with Ray Ferraro. Uh, Ray, Detroit, oh four and two. I told you the center. It's early, but I told you the centers weren't going to be the worst team in the league. So far, they've actually played pretty pretty nice, although they've got an injury now that that could hurt them. But uh, Detroit, okay, so, you know. so yeah, but you just you just set it all up though. Like, just think of this: so Ottawa's been terrific, one of the league's best, most interesting surprises, and they have had some injuries. Ryan Dezingles out, Alex Formanton's out, but their defense is not very good. When they get a couple of like Cody Cece's missed a few a couple of games, maybe just one. But when they get banged up on the blue line, they're going to really have problems. Detroit's played all year without four of their top five defensemen. And they've got a bunch of kids. At one point, their power play quarterback, or their two defensemen on the power play, had combined for four NHL games. (laughs) Jeez. So you don't score enough. Things go poorly for you. Your defense panics and you get steamrolled a couple of times. They picked up Jacob Delarose today on waivers, which gives them a, a more experienced, younger guy. Now, he doesn't score at all, mm-hmm. but probably somebody a little more dependable than some of the younger guys they've been playing. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a, you know, he's not going to change, yeah. change the ball well, roll in he'll, there. He'll but, help. Um, yeah, he'll help a little bit. They're, they're not as bad as they played the last couple of nights. Okay, well then. If they don't get any defensemen back, they're going to have one crappy year. Well, then can I present you the Arizona Coyotes? You have four goals in five games. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> but, again, when you talk about injury, yeah. so they don't, they, don't have, um, uh, they don't have Dvorak and they don't have Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk they're, missing yeah. two of their, yeah. they're missing two of their top centers. And, you know, they can tell you all the time, oh, we got – this is our Corsi and we have – this many shots and we get lots of shots and but if you don't have the right guys to shoot the puck it doesn't matter if you get lots of mm-hmm. shots the only thing you get is mm-hmm. guys with lots of shots hit, shooting it into the chest of the goaltender okay well, well we'll follow up in a little while i just didn't think the sands would be the worst team in the league that's all well, well okay you know you got 76 games to go don't hold your breath yeah yeah maybe i shouldn't get too excited uh all right here we go ray's game of the day i struggled for october 17th ray 
you didn't do much October 17th that many times. So there's, prob- uh, there's probably a lot of days I didn't do much. <laughs> no, don't don't sell yourself short. We we had a great great game of the of the week last week. So um, so all I got for October 17th, you're with the Thrashers, three three. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> three three tie with New Jersey. Uh, you're a one goal, one assist, plus one power play goal from Stales, uh, Steve Stales and uh, Audette, and then Audette scored uh, predictably from you and Brunette. Three three tie, one goal, one assist. Well, so the first year we played Jersey, they beat us one game. They beat us nine nothing. I think we had fourteen shots. Mm-hmm. Marty Brodeur could have played in a bathing suit. <laughs> Like, I think yeah. it was him down there because we never got down there. Yeah. It was, I remember they scored and I said to Randy McKay, are you guys getting bored yet? <laughs> it's like, like looking at you. scoring. Right. Let's just move this bloody thing along. Yeah. But that was the year, of course, with Audette and Brunette. That, yeah, you um, guys were good. And that line just was really good. We were, it was one of my favorite lines I ever played with. And we went into games, we expected to score. We knew that we were going to get lots of ice time. We were going to get lots of power play time. And yep. we were as good as really any other line at that point. I mean, there were, you know, there were certainly yeah. better lines. I mean, Mario Lemieux played with Yarmir Yager on a line at some times. But for lines that stayed together most of the yep. year, we were, I think we were in the top five or six for scoring. And, um, yeah, so we held a, a point for the Thrashers was a big thing. <laughs> Our dad had 24 minutes of ice. Shorthanded, I guess, right? Would they throw him out there? Oh, no. Uh, Donald just played all the time. Oh, okay. Like, what, did, what did I get there for ice? Uh, you were 19-24. He was five minutes more than you. Yeah, well, there, Donald stayed longer on his shift. He didn't skate as much. Um, <laughs> okay. He, he's not hearing this anyway, so yeah, I'll just yeah. say that. Right. But, but I would say he probably did kill penalties. I certainly wasn't going to do that. Yeah. What did Bruno pick up? Eighteen uh, ten, just just slightly less than you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, you're right. Donald did kill some penalties. But right. That's uh, that's pretty good ice time right there for a 36 year old. Yeah, nineteen twenty four. Yeah, I think pretty much led the team along your line, obviously. But our dad had a twenty four thirty five. So, all right, that's the uh, Ray Ferraro game see, of the that's day. That's good. You see, why was that hard to dig up? You said you had a tough time. That's a good day. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. All right. Well, last week we had a, a two goal and an assist. What What are you hoping for? <laughs> sorry, my bad. All right. Good point. You're right, actually. I thought you were going to say we had even, you know, you didn't have any points. You were oh. even, no shots, and no, I had. Penalty s- minutes. I try to look, uh, as much as fun it would be to to look for bad games for you, I do try to look for good games. I want good games. Oh, you. I think you should find some bad ones, too. <laughs> okay, I will. I'll take it. I'll, I'll look at I'll find the game, whatever date that was, where you had two holding the stick penalties in five minutes. Yeah, you'll be you'll be able to find uh, you'll be able to find a couple of dash three or fours for yeah. sure in there. Uh, all right, here we go. Some questions from everybody uh, from Jo ninety one. I don't understand how the league can fully protect players if, when they decide to throw the book at someone, the player can appeal. It seems very strange to me that someone like Tom Wilson has the right to appeal after all he's done. And of course, this goes into Ray. What you've said is the victim oftentimes doesn't get sort of their say in these things. Well, there's, they don't even really talk to them, and there's, you know, the players' association will help with the appeal. They'll represent the player. Um, yep. However, the guy that he hurt is part of the players' association too. Mm-hmm. But in, but in any any collective bargaining, any unionized collective bargaining, there's always a um, 
there's always a process for a worker that is fired or disciplined um, to have recourse to appeal their their discipline. Mm-hmm. And there, there always is. It's just built in. So that's what they've negotiated. That's why Tom Wilson would be able to appeal. Yeah. Uh, and you're fine with that, though. Like you're you're good with that as far as the system. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I don't even think of it, Steve, because that's just the way it is. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, like like you you if somebody says you're suspended for thirty games, you you don't even really get to defend yourself. Yeah. So that's really what the appeal is all about. You know, they they have the old the old thing in the media has been they should be suspended as long as the player is out for that they injured. Uh, you know, so. It, you can't do that. Like, right. so that just that just doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, I, I guess it, no, it doesn't. I, that's wrong to say. Okay. It could make sense. I I understand like why people would say that. Yeah. But so you're going to have players suspended for six months. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess right. Yes. I don't know. But there, there's no way the owners would agree to that. Right. Uh, Robert Flowers brings up something that I think I've heard from uh, maybe Jeff Merrick before, and I actually like it. Let me, let me know what you think about it. Why doesn't the NHL do what baseball does and have it so the coach can use the entire roster each game? Instead of having healthy scratches, have a bench, and in between periods, a coach could substitute players. Why not use them? I, I don't mind that idea. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But. Well, so what are the other guys going to do? Just sit in the locker room and they're here? Well, I, I think they're done. They're, they get pulled. Like in baseball, you're done. You're out of the game. No, no, but I mean, so the guys that are going in under your scenario. Oh, yeah. What yeah, are they doing? yeah, you sit in the – You sit in the. well, in between periods, you can come down and suit up, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's a little different in baseball. You don't – you know, they have underneath the rink they have, or underneath the building they have where they can go in and uh, take batting practice. They yep. can throw – in hockey, there's a gym. I guess you could warm up in there. Mm-hmm. But so let's let's think of it this way: you go to warm up. Warm up finished at quarter to seven. The game starts. The next time you're on the ice is at nine o'clock. How effective do you think you're going to be? You're really shooting this whole thing down. I didn't really th- work it all the way through, Ray. I guess you got you have a point as as usual. I right. mean, like you've been sitting right. there for two yeah. hours. You're eating popcorn or something they, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. It's hard enough to to play when you sit there for five minutes, let alone for two hours. Okay. All right. Dumb idea. All right, here we go. No, not a no, dumb no, idea. Yeah, just yeah. not practical. Right. Uh, Lacey Artemis says, uh, question for Ray. I've long been curious what is typical for in-season expenses for an NHLer. Like, what sort of things are typical monthly expenses for traveling pro athletes that aren't typical for average people? I mean, I'm more of a poor DM question, maybe, or, or maybe there's something else that you can tell well, us about. Well, yeah, there's... there's there's virtually no expenses yeah. on the road. Like, you know, the team pays for your flight, team pays for your hotel. I don't know what meal money is, maybe $100 a day um, right now. What was it in your day? I think it was, do you remember? He's 70, I think. Okay. Which is great until you went to New York and spent everything on breakfast, now, and then you were screwed. From what I've read, they give you the whole road trip money right away? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get an envelope with the... Um, with all your meal money in it, yeah. But don't. But also, you're also fed every game day. <laughs> yeah. So you get you get your meal money, and there's a pregame meal and a pregame snack, and the meal is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's the best part of the day, and uh, you know. So it's got pasta and chicken and steak and fish and yeah. uh, rice and 
vegetables and there's usually ice cream there just because there is. And, um, I mean, it's an amazing meal, and then you go back and sleep for two hours. It's really, those three hours are really probably the best part of the day, <laughs> except for the game. Do you have any stories of spending all your meal money the first night gambling or something or doing something um, you shouldn't have been? Two guys decided to. We shall go nameless? Should nameless? They shall go no, nameless. No, no, I guess not really. Uh, old Samuelson and Kevin Deneen. Okay. Um, cut the cards mm-hmm. for um, the meal money envelope on our on our big West Coast trip. Now wow. this was back in the eighties, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was. I want to say it was like four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. Just cut the like cards. Like it was a big envelope, yeah. especially thirty years ago. Yeah. And um, Ophi lost the cut and handed him his meal money. We weren't even in Chicago yet. He had no meal money. <laughs> Ballsy. Um, of course, credit card roulette's always fun to play too, right? Yeah, which credit card roulette, if people haven't played, if you know you have a bunch of people out for dinner and you throw all the credit cards in the in the bread basket at mm-hmm. the end and you get a waiter to pick out a, the cards and the last one in gets stuck with the bill. Yeah. The last two guys, they can work a negotiation to uh, to split the bill. Oh, I've I've not been uh, privy to that those rules. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can. You you take a lot of flack, right? <laughs> um, you know, but but still, depending yeah. on the meal, it could yeah. be a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, uh, Tyrell gets worst NHL rink you played in. Uh, hmm. Uh, well, I would say the arena in Greensboro which was the temporary home for the Carolina Hurricanes while they were finishing their new arena, which is the rank they play in now. There was, like, nobody there. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was brutal. I hated that place. But that was a temporary rank. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, I loved the Boston Garden, but it was a pit. Like, when they knocked that thing over, it was a good day. It was too small. <laughs> it was dirty. It stunk. It had history and all that, right. but it was that was a crappy place to play. Uh, Brad wants to know who were the toughest faceoff guys you recall, and how did you deal with them, legal or otherwise? Um, Ron Francis was outstanding. Um, Ronnie would tie your stick up and use his feet a yeah. lot, yeah. and he was bigger than you, which was really hard to combat. So I just mostly lost to him a lot. Um, <laughs> Dale Hunter turned it into a one-on-one war all the time. (laughs) And so for me, I tried to get in and out as quick as I could. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I had quicker hands. And so that's how I would try to win because if it got into a tie-up spot, most likely I was going to lose. Joel Otto would be another guy. He was six foot four. Yeah. And um, Joel would get set and then he'd stick his head right over the circle. Yeah, and you're like, really? Like, yeah. You're like, well, where the hell do I go? So the only thing you could do was try and get your head underneath his. Oh, boy. And try and whack him on the head with your helmet. Like, try to get him to yeah. back up. That's why those lines are on the ice. Yeah. Because before they were really there, man, it was, Yeah. you know, it, it was ridiculous. Uh, Meshe standing over the dot. What are you going to do? Like, come here, kid. Like, I, I, yeah, come here. I'm standing over the yeah, place I mean, dot. Right. Like, Joel Otto was six foot four, though. I mean, like, yeah. he, to me, he was he was, bigger. He was as yeah. tough a guy to beat as anybody. Uh, when penalty killing, why don't NHL players use the uh, old school type gloves for better protection and or wooden sticks for better durability? I've heard the wooden sticks more than a few times from Mario Z. Uh, 
Is that a viable thing to do, or is this uh, goes along the line of replacing players? Uh, no, I mean they, the reason they don't nobody uses wooden sticks is because they don't make them anymore. Where would you get them? No, nobody makes them. Really? Nobody makes them. You can't get them. This is news to me. No, you can't, if an NHL guy wanted to get wooden sticks, there's no company that makes them. Oh wow. Okay. Because just think, to make them, you've got to have somebody. You've got to have the machine that mills the wood. You have to have somebody that curves the sticks that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And since they don't do any others, why would they know what to do? Yeah, I guess. So you, you just can't. As far as using the bigger gloves, I'll be honest with you, I don't know why the guys use the tiny, small, little cuffs. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes no sense, especially because with the new material, everything breaks in so much quicker. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't have the answer for you. But personal preference would probably be it. Uh, Josh, the Zamboni guy, why can't David Price win a dang game in the playoffs? Yeah, this is crazy. It's like he was an out away the other day, but yeah. you took him out at four and two thirds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing to me that he can win seventeen games in the regular season, and then against the same guys in the playoffs, never beat them. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, no matter what anybody else, you know, what he would say, or if he, you know, he, I'm sure he'd disagree, but pressure does different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't won in 11 starts, no matter what else you say, clearly you're not throwing enough good pitches. Yeah. And everybody wants to talk and, about and it. Pre- and pressure has yep. to have a factor because he's done it all regular season and he's been fine. Well, they're, um, they're playing well against the Strohs right now. They're doing well. So. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm well aware. <laughs> I thought the Astros would be. I thought they Astros are going to kind of walk to it, you know, but not so oh, far. Yeah. So. All right, yeah, right, right. Uh, Osuna, Osuna had a bad. Oh, former Blue Jay. Isn't that too bad? Uh, <laughs> at least at least you can uh, cheer for Steve Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yep, yep. Um, Mike Johnson says lots of outrage about moving smaller kids to half ice hockey in Canada. Opinion on that. Yeah, the the outrage is by people that don't quite get it. So, <laughs> right. so there's lawsuits in Ontario about people don't want to play half ice hockey because it's not real hockey. They should be playing full length hockey, and so that's really important for eight year olds to skate. The one guy that can skate to have the puck the whole time and skate through everybody to score. I had people tell me, "Well, it's not real hockey. There's not offside. Who cares?" Mm-hmm. And the kids don't know what offside is. Who cares? How about when you play half ice hockey that you handle the puck more? You learn to handle the puck in traffic. You learn agility. Who cares if it's quote-unquote real hockey? And the reason I say that is until this year, my son, Riley, who's a soccer player, played cross-field soccer. That's the soccer model. And it's a much smaller field. It's a third the size. And, you, I mean, the game gets very fast because there's no room. Well, then at the start of this year, he's, um, he's 12. They play full length. And so in the first game, oh, by the way, and in cross-field soccer, there's no real offside. Yeah. In the first game of full-length soccer, there was about eight. <laughs> yeah. They were offside all the time. Right. Yeah. The yeah. second game, there was about three. And the third game, it's like every other game that you watch when you yeah. watch soccer. There's one here and one there. Mm-hmm. Because they learn. The the rules are the least of the concerns. And part of the problem is 
parents are so emotionally tied up, they can't see what's really going on. Do you know who's had half ice hockey for the last 30 years? It's the Swedes. Yep. You know who's had it for the last 15 or 20 years? The United States. Any trouble with the skill coming out of those areas? Nope. The answer's no. Mm -hmm. Small ice hockey works. And I will debate that with anybody, anytime. And I'm waiting for somebody to give me the great reason why it doesn't work. Well, isn't it um, also uh, you can get more games going on at the same time and you get more ice time and all of that, right? I mean, all of that's... that's well, it, half ice, or if you play across the rink, mm-hmm. you can play three games at yeah. once with the littlest guys. Yeah. The next groups, you can play half ice. They have the boards that yeah. actually fit across the red line, and you could play... You could play two games at once. Yeah. So with ice time expensive and dwindling and all of that, it's, yes. it's great. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, Todd says, any uh, any good Coach Q stories? And uh, you've told one on the air before. I don't know if we have time for another one, but you've told the one. That's been that's great. Scoring on his uh, own when net. He was co- oh, scoring on his own net. <laughs> yes. I, I thought he meant as a coach. Now, I also, I also played for him, which – was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I get, so, sure, yeah. St. Louis, right? I get to St. Louis, yeah. and Scott Young, who is a teammate of both of ours in Hartford, is playing in St. Louis, and he says, whatever you do, when Jules making his pregame talk, don't look at him. <laughs> and I'm like, why is that? And he goes, because you'll crack up. Well, Joel starts, it's my first game, he's starting his pregame talk, and he talks pretty fast, and then you got to get up here, and you got to move the puck, and there's a pop pass here, and then, you know, and then we need puck support. And as he's talking, I can feel myself, I'm just about to bust. <laughs> nice. It's yeah. the funniest thing. Right. And so, Scotty was right. Don't look at, don't look at Joel when he's... And then, when he yells, when he loses it on the bench, right. it's, it's so good. So, we're, I'm doing a game in Calgary, and Patrick Sharp and... Patrick Kane are, are sitting beside me. You know, they've just come off the ice. And there's a disputed goal. And he's losing it. And these guys, I can see, they're starting to giggle, right? <laughs> and so I say to them, I go, he does this every game, doesn't he? And they're like, no, nah, not every game. I go, it's pretty good, though, isn't it? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So I catch Joel's eye because it was on whether a puck was in or out. Okay. Uh, whether it went in or yeah. not. And I catch Joel's eye, and I go, it wasn't in. You know, I got the replay. Yeah. And he goes, I know. <laughs> he was just making the argument right. to, you know, kind of plant a seed and all that. All right, right. Uh, who can forget when he was fined for grabbing his junk also? That was oh, fantastic. That was, that, that was a well-earned fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, last question here on the uh, show from uh, uh, Real RR. What are some of the stereotypes of Russian players, and you've played with plenty of them, Ray, and you're around them now, that the average hockey fan thinks that are true and false? So stereotypes of Russian players that are true and false. Well, I, I think there is, you know, for a lot of us, we felt that the Russian guys didn't care as much as we did, mm-hmm. that they were only over here to make cash and they didn't really, really give a, a damn about the Stanley Cup. I think that would be uh, a stereotype for sure. I think it would be that um, at some point we probably thought, like, all they want to do is hang out together. They don't really want to talk to any of us. Uh-huh. And it's kind of, kind of BS. They don't even really care about the team. And I... I think what, what's happened as time's gone on is you learn that one of the reasons they like to hang out together is so they can speak their own language. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we went to Europe and we were playing in the Czech Republic or we were playing in Russia for that matter, yeah. 
would I want to sit around where I can't understand anybody? Or would I, there's three imports that speak English, I would probably hang out there. Yeah. And I, so I would say in both cases, we've learned that Russian players will, you know, there, look, there's lazy Russian players just like there's lazy North American players. Sure. Yeah. But I think, I think the stereotype of that they don't care, I think that's going. Right. And as far as them being so clicky that they don't talk to anybody, I think there's a, a greater understanding that, oh, wait a minute, the reason they, they stay in their group a lot of times is because they can't speak English. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, you know, you go out for dinner, you'd probably like to, to chat a bit instead of sitting there and eat your dinner. It might be, might be a fabulous dinner. It might be delicious. Mm-hmm. But you can't talk to anybody, yep. and what difference does that make? Yep. No, absolutely. Yep. All right. Uh, that's another edition of uh, the Paul Pocky Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thank you to Justin Bourne for coming on. Ray, you're doing the Pittsburgh Leaf game tomorrow? Yep. On my way uh, here in a couple hours to Toronto, and um, Pittsburgh hasn't played very well. So I'm interested to see what Toronto oh, does against uh, Penguins defense that's Yep. Iffy at best, and they just lost, unfortunately, Justin Schultz for mm-hmm. four months. So he broke a bone in his yeah. leg. Well, I just predict. I predict the role will keep going on as as the Leaf, Leaf Nation grows. Just rolling. Through you it. always yeah. predict the role of the one. <laughs> uh, by the way, before we go, uh, one year ago today, we lost Gore Downey from the tragically hip, and uh, yeah, yeah, we did. A, we actually we recorded. I think the the day after last year. So just uh, yeah, it, I still listen to music, and uh, and we'll miss you, Gord, for sure. And uh, fantastic band. Absolutely. Yeah, they were uh, they were such a big part of our of our country. Um, you know, they it seemed generations, different generations had awesome memories of what the hip was and what the hip was to them. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Certainly uh, missed. Well, Ray, thank you very much for uh, for another interesting and uh, good show. Thanks very much for everybody for listening. Uh, please give us a, a follow on uh, Twitter. Give us a ranking uh, on iTunes would be great. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks everybody, and we will see everybody next week, man. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.